And Father, if we have you, we have all we need anyway. That's the truth. And so right now, God, the great invitation is all of you who are burdened, weary, doing your own thing and carrying such a heavy load, come to me and the exchange can take place. I'll take the heaviness that you have and I'll give you the joy that I have. And so, Father, we just gladly say yes to that right now. And that's why we focus on you. It's not about the stuff that we're carrying and doing and trying to become or deal with. It's about you right now. And the reward in that is that you take the heavy and give us the joy, a burden that can be carried. And I just thank you for what you have in mind today. So, Lord, in this service, uh, it belongs to you. These people are yours. The message is yours. The time is yours. Feel free to direct it any way that you want to, Lord. Uh, we are available to your direction. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Really glad that you're here today. If you grab the notes, there's some fill-in-the-blanks you'll need a pen or a pencil for. And in fact, I've got a couple of quick housekeeping items uh, that I need to do in order to, um, to officially do my, my part when it comes to uh, executing my duties here. And for one of them, you might need a pencil to write something down. So here's the first one. Our annual business meeting is going to be March 27th, which is a week from Wednesday, 7 o'clock here at Lone Tree. Um, and the reason I have to take the time during a service to do this is that our Constitution and bylaws requires that we make the announcement twice before the meeting over the weekend. And then also I have to do this part right here. Um, I have a proposed amendment to our Constitution and bylaws that I would like to, um, I would like to adopt. And so I'm required to read it the way that it is right now in the Constitution and bylaws and then read what the proposal is. And if you want more information about that, then you would come to the meeting. But uh, in order to make you aware, it is from Article 9, Section 2. Again, I'm sorry to take precious time, but I, I have to execute this. Um, here's how it currently reads. Any real property shall not be purchased, sold, or otherwise alienated by the body without authorization of at least two-thirds majority vote of the active voting membership present at any regular or specially called business meeting. And here's my proposal. Any real property shall not be purchased, sold, or otherwise alienated by the body without authorization of the majority of the board of Jubilee Fellowship Church at any regular or specially called business meeting. The difference between the two is just simply this. Uh, it's the board, and the board is made up of members of the church, so they represent you. Uh, at a monthly meeting, and their job is to scrutinize the finances, so they're here for fiduciary purposes, and then they also help in the strategy of when we buy and sell different properties that we have. Now, no property is held in an individual's names, obviously. It's held in the name of the corporation, so there's no changes to those things, but the change is this. When we work on a project like the Lakewood campus, and we put together uh, selling the building. The board has done all of that work, and then we have to take it and come back in front of the congregation and present it to them without the benefit of them having done all of that work. The people that you elect as board members need to be trusted to do those things. And so we've got this extra step that makes it really difficult for us to carry out uh, the business behind the scenes. And so it's the proposal that the board would be able to make that decision. And again, the board is made up of members of the church voted on by the church. So it's not me that's doing that. It's the board that's doing that. But it saves us a step in how we operate, and it makes it a much more efficient process. So that's the change that I'm proposing. If you have a question on that, you can always email me. And if you want to come to the meeting, please feel free to come uh, to the meeting right there. Again, March the 27th at 7 o'clock. And by the way, um, when we put together the, the year-end report, it's got the finances for the entire year, every dollar in and dollar out, what we did in missions, um, what we did in every place. And I'll have that uh, report available for you um, the following weekend after the business meeting. It'll be online on the website, and I'll also have some uh, hard copies that are out there uh, in the foyer. Here's the one that you might want to write down. I'm really excited about this, and I chose to do the announcement myself 
because over the last couple of years, I have prayed that God would raise this up in our church. And what I needed was a person who had a heart for this. I could have asked someone to do it, but it's a difficult ministry. Here's what it is. Let me just get to it. Uh, we want to start, or we are starting, a support group for addiction recovery. And when you say addiction, people always have that one thing in their mind. They'll think drugs or alcohol. But addiction today, it is in so many different areas that people are dealing with addiction. And it's not just in the church. We want to do something in our community to be able to offer hope. So this is Christian-based. It's not just like, hey, it's a 12-step program. That's not what it is at all. Uh, It's an opportunity to get free, but to have a support group that is uh, Christian-based long-term. So if you or somebody that you know could benefit from this, then here's how you would sign up for it. It's a little bit different than we normally do it. So write this down. You would contact D, the letter D, Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S. So one word, dmarcus at jfc.org. Deb is one of our counselors on staff. She's going to oversee the ministry, but um, we have a person in our church who not only has been through this, but uh, is, is skilled in being able to minister to the people going through this. And that's why we're doing it. There's only so many people that can go in a group at a time because you can imagine the, um, you know, the one-on-one that's necessary in that situation. There's only so many. So it is going to be a first-come, first-serve. And then as it, as it grows and we're able to multiply it, that's what we'll do with it. But again, if you or someone you know, they don't have to go to our church uh, we want to reach out and be able to help our community too. And so if you or someone you know could benefit from it, contact Deb Marcus. Uh, it will begin April the 2nd, and it's going to meet at where our office building uh, is at. It won't meet here at the church, but contact her. She is going to be the intake person for how we, how we do this right here, and that's how you would handle it. Okay, uh, enough of that. Forgive me for taking that extra time. I hope you understand the importance of having to do that. Let's jump into the message. I'm really excited about it. It's a new series that we start today, and it's called What About? And then week by week, we'll tell you what the what about is going to be. And here's where it comes from. Uh, if you've been around for the last several weeks, in January, I did a message on shame, if you remember. Now, one message on shame is not enough to ever, like, you know, how, how you're going to correct something that might have been a lifelong event for somebody in, in 35 or 40 minutes. So I taught the message, but here's what we did to respond to it. If you were here and you remember, I had those, uh, those pieces of paper that were cut and they were on your chair. And when I got to the end of it, I said that thing, that shame that won't let you go. And I said, this is, this is the difference of knowing what guilt and shame is. Shame is when you have asked for forgiveness. You know that God has forgiven you, but that thing keeps coming back. It's a label that you wear. You just can't get free from it. You're embarrassed by it. It might've even changed the trajectory of your life. And maybe it was shame that someone did to you, or maybe it was something you did to someone else or that you did to yourself. Doesn't matter shame is not of God. This is what the Bible says. Jesus became those things for us so that we don't have to be those things. And that means Jesus was shamed so that you and I never have to feel shame. That's a powerful thought right there. So if you're carrying shame, the devil has misled you. He's deceived you. You do not need to be shamed. God sets us free from shame. So what we did is I said, you know, one of the ways that we get free, we confess our sins to receive our healing, but we don't really have a a process for that in our church. To confess to somebody your sin, I think, takes two things. It either takes perfect anonymity where they don't know who you are, right? And they're never going to know who you are. Or it takes the exact opposite. It takes deep trust where you've got this long-term relationship built up so that when you confess, you know it's not going to come back against you or someone else is going to hear about it. Does that make sense? And so both of those things, we don't have a great format for that because even though we ask for community, we push community, sometimes that, that trust can take years to build. You can't just get it because you go to a group for a month or two or even a year. It takes time to get that trust. And the Catholics do the anonymity part well. You've got a confession booth and a priest that doesn't look at you, and you confess your sins. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Growing up a Catholic kid, there was some benefit to that. Wow. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Apparently not enough to talk about today, but there was at that point some benefit to be just to get it off of your chest. The devil works best in the darkness. So that when you bring things to the light, that's the power of it. Jesus is of the light. The Bible says that people who are of the light recognize the light. They don't want the dark. In darkness is where the enemy is able. A person who steals, a thief, works best in the darkness, man. 
And that's, that's why the enemy wants to keep things in the dark. So what we did is I had those pieces of paper, write that thing on there, do it anonymously, and then Pastor Terry had built that wall in the back where you could put the paper in when you left, and it sort of represented, hey, I'm leaving this thing here. I'm giving it to God. I'm going to be free from it. So we are overwhelmed by it. Well, well over 1,000 people had written things down, right? Took them, you know, they, some of them were very heavy, I had promised never to expose those things, but what I did with them is I categorized them into what I thought were five root causes of what was bringing shame into a person's life, and that's what the series is about. So I'm going to spend this week one more time. I want to talk a little bit more about shame, but this in particular. Listen to this, because I know it to be true, that God can set us free. He can move in our life, and we can enjoy freedom, but it seems like for so many it only lasts a day or a week, or just a season, and then we find ourselves drawn right back into that thing, and sometimes we're worse off than when we started. So we got our hope up, and we believed God to do something great, but we find ourselves right back where we were before. What is that? If Jesus is into freedom, if the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, he, he is so into freedom that it says this, it was just for freedom's sake that he set you free. If he's into freedom, it means more to him than it does to you. If he's into freedom and he sets us free, don't you think we should live that way? But we have an enemy who consistently tries to steal and to mislead and to destroy the work of God in our life. And if we don't figure out how to deal with that, then we'll find ourselves having temporary freedom. So I'm going to use a juxtaposition today of two people, both in bondage, both got set free. One went on to do great things, and one ended up in a worse position than in the beginning. So what is that? And how do you overcome that? And that's what I want to teach today. So that's where we'll go. So it's what about shame? And here's the two stories, the juxtaposition. The first one, if you want to fill in the blanks, it's about a man in a tomb. A man in a tomb. This guy, we don't know much about him. We don't know his name. We don't know his background. We don't know how old he was. Uh, we know approximately where he lived in the north of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. That's all that we know. The other guy, the same thing. We don't know how old he is. We don't know if the stories took place in space and time within weeks or months of each other. Uh, there's just no, is he old? Is he young? Uh, what was the, we don't know the situation, but their stories are uncanny in how, how identical they were. And then they're, they're completely ironic in, in how they both turned out, one so good and one so bad. And the first one is involving, uh, it, it's a longer story. The second one is only three Scripture. So allow me the benefit of telling the longer story first. It's Jesus teaching. Uh, it comes from Mark, and it's uh, Jesus with his disciples, and they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit. So this is not like maybe he's got an emotional problem. We can see this is a spiritual problem. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. So let me just stop right there and talk to you you recognize that this guy's life has not turned out like he thought it was going to turn out. I guarantee you, when he was a little boy, he never thought, I can't wait to grow up and live in the tombs. Something has happened to this guy, and it's bad. I bet his mom and dad never thought this is the, the trajectory of our son's life. I bet they never imagined that this is, like all parents, when he was a little boy, they probably imagined great things for him, and they wished great things for him, and they probably did all that they could do to make sure that good things were going to happen for him. But somewhere along life's journey, the enemy has gotten into this guy's life. This is not a mental problem. It's a spiritual problem, and we know that because it says it's an impure spirit that initially came to challenge Jesus. And my point simply is this. When the when the, when the weird, when the, when the strange, when the, when the abnormal becomes normal, dude, the devil has misled you. When you find yourself living amongst dead things and you're okay with it, you have been deceived. I told this story years ago. Chris and I on vacation. The kids were still little, living at home. We're driving on the eastern plains out somewhere around Flagler or you know, way, way out there. It's flat. It's desolate. It's farmland. She had gone to sleep. The kids are asleep. We're maybe two or three hours into the journey. There's not much to do. Your imagination is, there's just not much to look at. And in the distance, I see this really tall billboard. As I get close, it's a pair of hands, a woman's hands, with a steak a knife and a fork. And she's cutting this really good-looking steak. And the slogan is, eat more beef. You've probably seen it on TV. 
And then straight down below the sign, and it was probably a 100-foot sign so that it could be seen from the distances. At the bottom of this sign is a group of probably 20 to 40 cows <laughs> that had gathered around the sign because it was providing shade from the sun that was beating down. So I looked at the cows, and I look up at the sign, and I'm like, that is the most ironic thing. <laughs> Here these cows are seeking shelter from a thing that represents their destruction. And they have no idea. They're so innocent about it. They have no idea. But they're seeking shelter. They're seeking refuge. They're seeking a port in a storm from a thing that represents their destruction. And we think, oh, they're, they're just, they're, 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 they don't know any better. People seek refuge, shelter, and, and a port from things that are absolutely going to destroy them. They'll turn to substance and they'll turn to, to other people who are poisonous and they'll turn to things in their life that they think this, it, it represents your destruction and you're seeking shelter in it. And it's, it's you've been deceived. And so we, we look at a situation like with those animals and we think, ah, that's funny. It's not funny when it happens to a person. And I see it every day. And this poor guy, man, he, he doesn't even realize where he's living. He's just looking for shelter. But here, this person who was normal and full of hope at one point, the enemy has found a way to deceive him, to trap him, to trick him, and to get him to live amongst dead things. So the Bible goes on to tell the story that no one could bind him anymore. So the anymore refers to the fact that they've been trying to do this. So obviously... This guy, at first they were able to bind him, but apparently the activity of the enemy in his life grew stronger and stronger. And this is not some, some, some superhero with, a, with a, an ability. This is demonic influence that has grown stronger and stronger in his life, where at first they could bind him to stop him from harming himself and harming others. But now he's grown, he's grown so strong, spiritually speaking, and in a, in a negative way that no longer can they stop him, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough any longer to subdue him. Look at this, night and day amongst the tombs and in the hills, he would scream and cry out and cut himself with stones. Think about this. The guy could never rest. He could never stop. I'm sure he was exhausted. I'm sure he was terrorized. I'm sure he was at the point of what is wrong with me? I'm out of control. I can't stop myself. I can't ever be able to rest night and day. He's antagonized and pushed. And you know that's exactly what the enemy wants for your life, right? Yeah. He's not content to harass you for an hour or a moment. He wants everything. Jesus described these three words when he talked about the enemy. He is here to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It is a 24-7 work that you have got to be on your defense with because you have an enemy who has no mercy. He does not respect the fact that God's trying to do something in your life. Jesus, when he even, Jesus used himself as the, am I okay just teaching away? I'm like, I'm pumped to teach this, man. Can you tell? Like, yes. So Jesus, he uses the analogy or the illustration of, of him being a sower of seed. And he says the sower goes out to sow the seed. The seed is the kingdom of God and the things that God wants to happen in our life. And Jesus tells when the seed lands in the right place, it produces this incredible harvest in our lives. But then he gives this last little warning. He said that the enemy comes immediately. How soon? Immediately to steal? No, to steal the seed. You're mixing two... You're a pastor. What's wrong with you? <laughs> to, Jesus said that the devil comes immediately to steal the good seed that he put out. So if Jesus is telling us that the thief can come to take what he put out, our job is to protect it so the devil can't get it. If you want a harvest in your life, you play a part in it. You cannot just sit back and go, hey, God is God. He can do whatever. God is God, but he wants a partnership with you in your life. And you have a job to protect that seed. Uh, you know, the enemy can be shooed away, but it's not enough to shoot. You've got to reinforce it from happening again. So Bill, I told that story this morning. Uh, the grackle tree. 
So, so Bill and Amy Pearson, they, they live in Centennial. Amy's like, please don't point me out right now. Uh, <laughs> so they've got this huge, what kind of tree is it? An ash tree, a big ash tree. You were confused on the issue for a moment. Yes, you didn't expect this. It's a huge ash tree. I mean, it's huge. But they have these grackle birds. You know what a grackle is? The word should tell you all you need to know. Grackle. What does it sound like? Grackle, grackle. Yeah. That's the, the name is indicative of what they do. All these grackles come and live in their tree. And there's, man, there's, I mean, if there's one, there's a hundred of them. And they're loud. Not like, Cheep, 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 like a robin. They're like, like demons moved into your tree is what it is. And day and night. And, and, and then, you know what birds do? Do do. So imagine that. So he's trying to get rid of these birds and he's trying to, he's using water and he's using noise. And I think he told, I think you said you use fireworks or something at one point. So here's what, here's what, here's what happened. The bird, like all birds, you know, when they get spooked, they fly off and they all go in form. It's like, if you look at them from a distance, they all look like just one big thing, right? So they fly off and they go away and then they all just come right back and land again. So that you spend all of your time dealing with the same problem. And you can shoo them away momentarily, and it feels like, oh, we got a break. But then you're deal- they just come right back because there's nothing to keep them from coming back. All right, so those silly birds. Do you know that Jesus, when he talked about demonic influence in our life, actually compared it to the birds of the air? And he used the idea that the birds can come and land in the branches of your life. He actually taught that. So I'm pulling that from memory right now. I can't remember exactly where that is. So if you want to know, uh, please ask Pastor Todd, who's an authority on the scriptures. Uh, <clears throat> I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. Okay. So let's keep going with the story. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day amongst the tombs. And in the hills, he would cry out, cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of this voice. He's screaming, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, not the man, but the spirit, What's your name? And the spirit answers back, My name is Legion. And that literally translated is multiple or many. And so what it means is that it's not just a single spirit that's harassing this guy. And I think it goes back to the idea that he grew worse and worse and grew stronger and stronger. It's not a demonic force, but it's many demonic forces. This guy has not been able to close the door in his life and it's moved into his life. Now, just real quick. So if you're a believer, I want you to hear me say this. I don't think you can be possessed, but I do think you can be oppressed. What's the difference between the two? So if I'm holding a balloon real quick, possession would be internal. The devil's inside. But oppression is that the devil is trying to put pressure on the outside constantly from every angle that he can. He's harassing you. He's tormenting you. He's terrorizing you. That's why you can't rest. That's why you feel compelled. If you've ever used the words out of control, What do you think it is? So our culture will say it's nature or nurture. And next week I'm going to teach on something about dealing with things in the mind that certainly genetics do play a part with that. And it can be nature or nurture. But when it's a spiritual issue, it's not nature or nurture. It's the devil. And you're foolish to ignore that at your own risk. Ignore me right now. So I don't think possessed, but I do think oppressed. And oppressed people, I wish almost in a way, you could stand here for a moment and see what I see. So many faces, and you can't tell anything about a person. But what goes on inside right now? What are you dealing with? Who are you? Where's the devil harassing you? Where can you not get victory? Where are you a prisoner? Where are the chains? Where's the compulsion? Where's the thing that you can't get free of? You can have the rest of your life where you're 
but that one thing. So the Bible says the enemy is like a roaring lion. Not a roaring lion, but like a roaring lion seeking for whom he can devour. And that means he's looking for the well-worn path in your life. He knows the way in. The way in for me is probably not the way in for you. You'd probably think my way is stupid. Like that's really what you go for? And maybe I'd say that about you. That's not the point. The point is that the devil studies in order to figure out how, and then that well-worn path, it actually is a word picture that when animals walk, if you're a hunter, you look for the game path because animals don't just wander. They go on the game path. The devil looks for the path in and out of your life, and if you don't close that off, it's easy access. So God casts the seed like right now. Right now, I'm telling you, you can be free. Right now, I'm telling you that God's got a future and a plan for you. Right now, I'm telling you that the arc of your life is not determined by what happened then, but what God says about tomorrow. That's the truth of the matter. That's who you are. That's where you're going. But you've got an enemy who comes to steal this. As soon as I can get it out of my mouth, he's there trying to take it out of your soul. What will you do? What will you do? I cannot be more fired up about it than you are. I cannot want freedom more for you than you want for you. He begged Jesus again and again, the demon, not to send them out of the area. In other words, to the pit of hell. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us amongst the pigs, allow us to go into them, and Jesus granted them. Anybody ever read that and wonder why did Jesus, why would he give them their request? Let's just, Israel is kosher. And kosher means, one of the laws is no pork. And yet they're raising pigs. I think Jesus got a two for one here. <laughs> I really do. All right. Send us amongst the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out, went into the pigs, and look what happens. The herd, about 2,000, it's a large herd, uh, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So he got the demons, and he got rid of the pigs. That's working hard, not, you know, or smart, not hard. So, I, All right, those, those tending the pigs, look at the story. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus... Look at their response. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Look at these three things sitting there. How do you know when God's in control of your life? You can rest. You can actually rest. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Psalms 23. He's the good shepherd who causes our soul to, to rest. Enter into your rest. God is about rest. Rest doesn't mean nap or laziness. Rest is more of a spiritual position than it is a physical position. Do you know rest? It's when everything around you can be going to hell in a handbasket, but you got peace. It's Jesus on the boat when the storm comes and the disciples are freaking out, but Jesus sleeps because any storm you can sleep through, you own the storm and it doesn't own you. Come on. So when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. He's dressed. And maybe it's a metaphor for protected now. Because before, he's completely vulnerable. He's nude. He's a laughing stock. He's an embarrassment. But now, God gave him back his dignity. Ooh. And in his right, what does it say? His right... And they were afraid. What a response to him. Jesus does this incredible thing and they're afraid of him. Look at what their fear does. Um, those who had seen it told the other people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And they told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to... Doesn't that seem ludicrous? They're so afraid. The status quo has been what they've known their whole life. And the enemy has had such a, he's got, the, the enemy didn't just have the man, he had the town. Because yes. yeah. yes, they're completely afraid when God shows up. As Jesus was getting into the boat, 
So he yields to them. He's going to leave. The man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus, let me go with you. But Jesus did not let him, but said, go home, tell your own people, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell people in the Decapolis. Decapolis is uh, 10 major cities in the north of Israel. Uh, Go and tell people in the 10 major cities how much Jesus has done uh, for you. And all the people were what? Amazed. Just one, one quick thing. Um, there's, we, we do know one other thing about this guy. And this is the only thing. The next time Jesus goes back to this region, there was one other time he came back. That man who had been set free leads all the people out to welcome Jesus. So at this point, they want him out of there. But the man had done such a good job telling what God had done for him that now they want Jesus. So the next time Jesus comes back, that guy leads the whole town out to meet Jesus at the boat. He became the president of the Jesus fan club. (laughs) And he did such a tremendous job. You know, we tell people all the time, uh, you need to get some kind of authority or you need to get some kind of an education. And I'm not against either of those things. They're true and they're right. But you know, the greatest thing you can do, if God sets you free, tell people what God did for you. And that's your testimony. And the power in a testimony is that people can argue with a philosophy, but they cannot argue with what happened in your life. They can't argue with that. There's just no way to deny if it's true. Let me give you the juxtaposition. This is another man. We don't know the time frame. Uh, We don't know his name. And it actually talks about his situation. It doesn't tell us the story of his situation. But the second one is a man in the story. And it comes from Luke chapter 1. And it's just these three verses. And it goes this way right here. When an impure spirit, remember with the other guy, we're dealing with an impure spirit. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, Jesus is talking. It goes through arid or dry places seeking rest, and it can't find it. So it says to itself, I will return to the house I left. The house is the person that it was pushed away from. And look what happens. It arrives. It finds the house or the person swept clean. God has delivered you, and when he delivers you, he puts right what was wrong. But the spirit, finding the house open and clean, goes and finds seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is brutal, but listen, it would have been better for the man not to be delivered than to be in the position he is in now. But that's not God's will that you get delivered and then you end up in a worse position. So what, what are we to learn? From, why is this story in here? What are we to learn from it? So here's, here, I put this in your note. Here's the things that they had in common, the same. Both were oppressed. For sure they were possessed, but we know that they were oppressed. They were terrorized. <laughs> they, they, they were driven. They, they, their lives were out of control They would have used the words, I can't stop this, I'm compelled by this. At some point, man, they would have looked like emotionally, mentally, and physically, all hope is gone. So they definitely were oppressed. Here's the other thing that's the same between them. Both of them were set free. We see that in both stories. Both to this point, their stories are identical. They could be the same person to this point. But then it's in what happens to each of them that's the irony of the story. Here's the difference. One stayed free and one got worse. And here's the crux of my message. I want to give you the four things right now of how you keep yourself free. How do you, how do you maintain the freedom? How do you reinforce the work of God in your life? Do you play a part in it? Uh, what does that look like? I, so I think we can find clues in the story. The first one is the empty house. The second story about the guy where, where Jesus said the imp- impure spirit is driven out. The spirit goes into arid places looking for a place to land, to rest, finding none. It returns to the home where it was kicked out of, and it finds it swept clean and empty. So it has acts. Look at me real quick. God did the deliverance, but nothing was ever shut to keep the spirit from coming back in. How do you shut that door? So I'm going to give you two things that you can do that you can help to maintain that, that freedom in your life and that you should be working on these things and doing these things. Here's the first one, and it is that shut the door. I'm watching Nine News in my house, and they're talking about uh, people in 
Highlands Ranch that leave their garage doors up at nighttime and there's a group of thieves going into their garage and opening up their cars and just taking purses and wallets and you know uh, their, their house keys. And then the thieves become more brazen and they begin to check the door to the house because they could walk into the garage. And those that had left their door unlocked, the thieves came in. So while they're, while they're doing this story, they begin to interview a woman and it's on my street. So I run out of the house. I'm like, Chris, see if I'm on TV. I run out, I'm going to get on the TV. I'm going to be one of those people. Comes up behind the reporter. And so they're interviewing the woman at the top of my street, and she is angry, and right, Felicia, I'm violated. We live in Highlands Ranch. I can't believe this kind of crime would happen here. We move from a bad place to move into a good place. So she's really mad, and I get it. She's been violated, and yes, it shouldn't have happened, but the bottom line, who's to blame? Hey, tell me, who's to blame? The parents of those teenagers. Okay, that's true. But you want really the best way? My house didn't get broken into. Knock on wood. Shut the door. Lock the door. Take the access. Take the easy. Crime is usually a crime of opportunity. And the enemy works the same way. He's a thief and he looks for the easiest way to get into your life. So if there, here's what the Bible says. Resist the devil and he will. He'll flee from you. Put up resistance. Make no provision to allow that to take place in your life. I'm not saying that in your own power you can stop the devil that way. You need the name of Jesus to arrest the devil. But there are things that you can do that can make it more convenient for him to harass someone else than you. I'm on it. All right, so that closes the door, but the empty space is probably the most, the most critical clue that's given us. He finds the house empty and put in order. Something has to take the place of where the enemy had a stronghold in your life. We call it a stronghold, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, capturing every thought and imagination that won't submit to what God has for our lives. The battle for your life generally is right here. And whoever controls this controls you. So the battle for your life is not something. He doesn't want your body. He wants your brain because if he gets your brain, he gets your body. And he gets your soul and he gets your heart and he gets your intention and he gets your words. Do you hear me? The Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches over and over to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't don't fill yourself with wine and the things of this world, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Pentecostal or a charismatic that sits in my church, you'll go, I had that experience at a camp or at an altar, and you've, you've deduced the activity of the Holy Spirit to a moment in time where you felt this, ah, and it's powerful. But to be led and filled by the Holy Spirit is every day to wake up and say, God, here I am. I belong to you. You fill my life. You have all the excess. You, it, it's a relationship ongoing, sir. It's not to show up to even church once a week. It's on a day-to-day basis to say, oh, all of me is your. If there's no room for the enemy, there's no room for the enemy. That little idea about us raising our children, man, our house. We have a big house now, but when our kids were living, uh, or, or little and living there, our house seemed so small, there was not a room that there wasn't a kid in. Nobody could have moved in with us just because there was no room in the inn. And when you allow that room, something's going to fill that void. Let it be God. Uh, Here's the other one real quick. I'm going to run out of time, and I've got this ministry thing. I'm going to say them real quick, sorry. Uh, Be busy for God. What I like about that story and a clue we get is that the first guy doesn't go back and sit in his house and think, oh, that was awesome. That guy gets busy telling people about what God had done. When's the last time you did that? Put it out there. 
What's God doing for you? And man, I hope the answer is not, I don't know. Ah! Ah! What's he doing for you? Man, touch God today. The third one, live in the light. The darkness is where the enemy works best. Live in the light. It's in the light. 90% of all of the enemy's activity is in the darkness. You can hinder the enemy automatically by bringing things to the light. Live in the light. It's, it's in that dark place that the devil has. He's able to lie to us and he's able to deceive us. Uh, and then, you know, shame is that one thing that we're so embarrassed by it and we're so, oh, I don't want anybody to know. So we, we hide it and we protect it and we don't want anybody to know and we keep it in the dark place. And as soon as it comes to the light, yes, it crucifies the flesh, but now you're free. Yes. You're free. I had a man that called me this week. And I could tell in the, in the voice he was desperate. Can I meet with you? I've got relationship with him. Yes. Uh, I'm busy. So when are we talking about? As soon as possible. I recognize desperation. So I tried to clear my schedule, and I give him like this 1 o'clock time. And he goes, I'll take whatever you have. And I realized, the Holy Spirit told me, get him in here quicker than that. So I said, I can meet you tomorrow morning at 6.30 in the morning. And we did. And he just needed to... And that's as far as I'm going with it. Here's what I said to him. I forgive you and I restore you, but this is not good. Because we, we today think we have some sloppy version of grace that just says, oh, you know, you're just, you're a human. It's, you are a human, but sin will eat your soul, man. It will destroy you. And so, yes, God is merciful, and yes, he forgives us. But just like the woman caught in adultery, Jesus, when he deals with all of the religious buttheads that have rocks in their hands, and he gets rid of them, he asked the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, sir, I see none. And he said, neither do I accuse you. And then he says, but leave this life of sin. So he is grace, and he is truth. He is mercy and he is power. And we've got to learn to walk in those two things to help restore people, to say to each other, you've got to have somebody you can talk to. There's got to be somebody in your life. Think right now, who can you tell when the enemy is just overpowering you? Who can you tell I need help? Do you have, the devil loves us in darkness and isolation, yes or no? Yes. And we, we live our whole lives now I, we can close our garage before we even get out of our car. Nobody has to touch us or see us. Do I make any sense right now? I just... Here's the fourth one. And I, I, community, people that love and tell truth. You know, Terry Hilders, many drills this into my head constantly. There's just some healing that won't come any other way except through community. I would love to take care of most of my stuff just between me and God, but there's, when God created Adam and he was just the two of them, God said it's not good for mankind to be alone. I've got to create someone suitable for them to be able to have that relationship with. You would think a person in God is enough, but God says they need another human in their life. We just need it. And we do so much to keep that from happening. So here's the last thing, and I, I'm, I, can I give this to you? Um, get this out of the way. And I need to get a drink of water real quick because my throat's... So I did this. I got to this point in the message last night and I realized what the Holy Spirit was telling me. And, um, you know, uh, you, you might think that I'm super bold. I'm really not. I'm a very shy person. And if you ever catch me one-on-one, -on -one, you'll find out how shy I am. I'm a very shy person. I, I'm easily embarrassed and I'm, I'm not good in that one-on-one -on -one thing unless I get really comfortable with somebody. And so people mistake what I do up here for being my personality. And it's, it's, this is something that God can use me in and that I'm just willing to go there. But even in that, I like to play it safe too. When I close, I like to do it without having to risk a lot for you or for me. But I got to the end last night and I know what the Holy Spirit told me and I just decided to be obedient and then I came this morning not with the idea that I'm going to do that again, but I felt like the Lord said it. And then in between services, praying, I felt like the Lord said it. So I, I'm not asking you to close your eyes, and I'm not asking you to be anonymous. I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to ask you to risk. And I'm going to ask you if you're desperate. Because this is only for desperate right now.
And if this isn't for you, don't feel any condemnation. There's none. You don't have to do anything. But if I'm talking to you, this is your moment. This is an answer to your prayers. And you need to add some faith to what I'm saying right now. And if you need to be set free, I won't name what the free is. You get to decide. But if you need to be set free, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Yep. Yep. I'm going to wait. I know. It's embarrassing and it's tough. And I know. There's something about it. Maybe you, as you sit there and you're contemplating, can I do that? Maybe your question to me would be, Pastor, can't God do this uh, without me standing? That's, there's an act of faith right now to have to risk something, to say the status quo is not going to work anymore for me, to have to just admit that I'm powerless by myself and that I need God to deliver me. When I use the word desperate, I don't mean out of control, although maybe, maybe. But I just know you need God to do something. And as I'm talking, if the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, be brave right now. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your time. It's your time. Just be brave right now. Jay's got a song he's going to play in a moment, but I'm going to pray. Now listen to what I'm about to say. What I'm going to pray, I'm going to get after it. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the enemy. So don't go, pastor seems mad. I'm not mad at all. There's nothing in my heart that's angry, man. It's just the opposite. I'm on fire right now. And I know that God wants to use this moment to set you free. So I'm just, I'm trying to prepare your heart right now. If I go after this, just be a participant in a moment. So in the name of Jesus, the name given to us on this earth that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That name raises dead people back to life and it stops demons in their tracks. And in the name of Jesus right now, I take authority over any chain, any hook, any, any deception, any misleading, any, anything that the devil has been able to do in your life that is stolen, that is destroyed, that has kept you from moving into the place that God has for you, anything that you find yourself repeating that pattern over and over, anything that you've said to God over and over, I promise, I promise, I promise, and yet you feel powerless. I take authority over that thing. And in the name of Jesus right now, I tell the enemy, you must submit to Jesus. You have no authority. This is not your place. These people are not your people. They are bought at a high price, and it was the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for them. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and every place in between, I wash you in the blood of Jesus right now. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are the thing that God says you are, and you're not the label that the world or the enemy has put on you. You are forgiven. You are whole. You are free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That thing that terrorizes you in the night, that thing that doesn't let you rest, I speak over you peace right now, and I speak over you order right now. That thing that has blocked your path from being able to move into what God has for you, I take authority in Jesus' name right now. You must submit. You must let go. You must stop right now. And what the devil has stolen from you the book of Joel tells us God will give back to us and he'll give back to us more than what was stolen. What you've been misled over. What you've been confused over. What's been hidden now becomes plain. The path that God has set for your feet, man, that pit that you fell into, that the devil trapped you with, here's what the Bible says. God inclines his ear when we cry out to him and he sets our feet on the solid path. I, in the name of Jesus, pull you out of that pit and set you on that path right now. You are above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. God's blessing is upon your life. And when you find a belief in conflict with a habit, the habit must let go. Right. Yes. 
that thing that has bound you for so long that you've agreed with and just said, I'll never change. Today's your day. You will change. You will not, not, not be a victim to that thing any longer. Man, where you've been terrorized and driven and held, Jesus opens the door right now. Step out, prisoner. Step forth, free one. No longer bound to that. The call that was on my life when I was 15, Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you because he's anointed you to preach the good news and liberty for the captives. You are free. Whom the Son sets free is free. For your loved ones, the people that you love that the devil terrorizes, I claim this for them too. For your household and your marriage, for your life, for your hopes and your dreams that the devil has strangled. He's strangled them. He's choked them. Man, I'd say right now in Jesus' name, you let go. May God breathe back on you the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to dream and to believe again. You're not common. You're not ordinary. You're chosen. You're set aside. You're his special people. Man, I remind you right now that the authority you have in his name resists the enemy. Submit to God and he will flee from you. May the Holy Spirit fill your life right now. May the Holy Spirit have all of you right now. May you not sit here and debate the issue of what belongs to God and what belongs to me. Let God have everything right now. Open your hands and give him everything right now. So that what he can give to you is the life. The life that he called you to. And I speak it over your life. You are who he says you are. You can have what he says you can have. And you can do what he said you can do. Man, I pronounce this over you. In the only name under heaven. By which it's even possible. Do you know that name? Say it with me. Say it with me. Jesus. Use that name when the enemy comes to steal, when he comes to kill, and when he comes to destroy. Don't just get mad about it. Don't curse about it. Don't, don't throw your hands up and, and just say, oh, I, I just use the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Call out to the name of Jesus. I attach this to you. I bind this to you. Not a lie, but the truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen Amen to that. Okay. Yeah, wow. We're going to just sing. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. So if you want to stand with us, let's just proclaim it. Come on, break every chain. Sing your freedom in this place right now. 
rising up in this church, Lord, what you're doing, that you're stirring, 
to draw us out of the darkness into freedom in every aspect, Lord, is for your glory, to move more of your kingdom forward, to use all of us as a body of people that want to live in freedom, to spread that freedom, to see this world made whole by you, Jesus. And it takes people like the people standing in this room to rise up, to grab a hold of the truth that is always louder, no matter how loud the enemy yells, Jesus, you are always louder. And I pray that every person in this room would go on the offense rather than the defense, that we would push back, that we would stand in the way and we would build the gates higher, Lord, in your name and by your power, Lord, that you would put up the walls that we don't know how to get to right now, Jesus, that you would show us how to seal off the places that the enemy has found we're out into so that the freedom we walk in would be louder than anything else that could tell us who we are or what lie we've believed or what event in our life has defined who we are, Jesus, that you would break those things right now. And like Pastor John said, that it wouldn't be a momentary freedom, Lord, but we would taste the freedom, that we would know your goodness and that we would move forward, Jesus, that the future with you, Jesus, is our vision. The future with you is our sight, Jesus, and everything else can stay where it is and go back to the pit of hell because we don't need it in this place. We need you and you alone. We put all of our trust in the name of Jesus right now. And I pray that you would embolden every person in this room. You would empower us by your name, Jesus, to step forward as we leave here. And that this would just be the beginning of a week of experiencing freedom like we didn't even know was possible. Go with us as we leave now, Jesus. Believing the words of this song that there is power only in your name to break every chain. And that we stand in freedom. We love you and we thank you this you're the God that always wants our freedom. We pray this in your name, amen. Thank you for being here. We love you guys. Go in freedom. Enjoy your day. Jesus is alive, so we're alive. We'll see you next.